0: chapter three of the land of the broads by ernest r suffling this librivox recording is in the public domain yarmouth to lowestoft o the gallant fisher's life it is the best of any tis full of pleasure void of strife and tis beloved of many other joys are but toys only this lawful is for our skill breeds no ill But content and pleasure by Isaac Walton. Having given some idea of the boats and outfit required, I will ask the reader to accompany me upon a trip in which I shall endeavour to take him to all the principal broads and places of interest. It matters little from what town the start is made, whether Yarmouth, Norwich, Roxham, or Lowestoft, each having its partisans on this occasion we will start from yarmouth principally because i think it the most convenient place from which to reach any given point quickly and also because our little steam yacht happens to be moored in brayden water near the ale-store's Mouth. here she is the lily somewhat like a launch in hull but broader in the beam in proportion to her length she is thirty foot long and seven foot six inches beam forward in the peak is a small american cooking stove so that the man who drives the engine which comes next can keep one eye on the dinner which is preparing and the other on the machinery a cabin amidships makes a snug dining and bedroom combined nine foot long seven foot wide and five foot nine inches high contains innumerable lockers for the thousand and one articles to be used on the voyage long seat lockers fold down at night forming ample sleeping accommodation for four persons large stern sheets with lockers all round forming seats fill up the space between the cabin and the stern i would point out to my readers ere we start that although we are about to undertake the trip in a steam yacht the journey may be made with equal ease in a sailing vessel indeed most persons would prefer being on the sail so as to obviate the incessant vibration caused by the throbbing of the propeller and also the unpleasantness of the smoke our chief motive for taking the voyage by steam is its quickness we have but a limited period at our disposal and shall not therefore loiter for any length of time at any particular spot either to fish or sketch but merely long enough to note the points of interest those who wish to learn to sail a boat will have a splendid opportunity of doing so here as the flaws of wind may be seen ruffling the water or bending the reeds before striking the sails and the amateur yachtsman will soon learn to make the most of these puffs when a steady breeze is not available the various reaches in the rivers will teach him the science of tacking which is one of the first and chief things to be learned on narrow waters he will likewise learn the rules of the river how to pass other craft to know the indications which surely proclaim a shoal and the many points of observation and practice necessary to success as a yachtsman to return to our steamer catching the first of the flood we cast off for a run across braden down the waveney to lowestoft being a fine day with a nice breeze the water is alive with yachts of all rigs shapes and sizes from the tiny lug skiff the queenly twenty ton racing yacht this is the great regatta and match sailing course for the east coast the course is marked by a line of stakes from the swing bridge to the burney arms a distance of four and a half miles the quantity of canvas carried by racing craft is simply enormous and will at once attract the notice of our midland or town friends the shooting is free, and sometimes, in severe weather, capital duck shooting may be had on these waters. The area is about 1,300 acres, and any part of it may be traversed in search of wildfowl by using a flat bottomed punt, which may be hired for a shilling per day. This punt is necessary, as the water is in some parts very fleet, and, as the tide ebbs, large banks covered with mud are left exposed those who venture upon these banks must first don the mud patterns usually to be found in the boat and which are simply flat pieces of board strapped upon the feet to prevent the wearer from sinking into the slimy mud they are very awkward things at first and more care is usually necessary to look after oneself than the wild fowl a little practice however soon teaches one to flounder about capitally having gained the western extremity we find the mouths of two rivers right ahead that to the right is the Yare, from which yarmouth derives its name and leads to norwich etc that to the left up which our way lies is the waveney at the juncture you may see the skeletons of two or three yachts which have met with sudden ends by missing stays etc and drifting upon the dreaded borough flats on our immediate left but a short distance inland are the remains of the ancient borough castle which should not be passed without a visit the roman walls of this castle for it is at least fifteen hundred years old are in a remarkably perfect state they enclose five and a half acres of ground and are of red bricks which are even now as hard as when first baked laid in alternate layers with the usual flintwork. being so close to yarmouth it is a great resort for picnic parties after viewing these interesting ruins we again embark and after a run of six or seven miles arrive at st Olive's bridge where we again land for a walk to fritton decoy to my mind one of the finest if not the most delightful of the broads walking half a mile we arrive at the junction of two roads take the right and another half a mile brings us to fritton old hall a most picturesque old manor house Delightfully situated and with a very fine garden. Here, boats, which, however, are the roughest and most ramshackle things of the kind I ever saw offered for hire, may be procured from the middle of March to the end of September. During the remaining months, the broad is kept private so that the decoying of wild ducks may be uninterrupted. A decoy is a very simple contrivance made by erecting a series of semicircular hoops, gradually diminishing in size for some seventy yards or eighty yards. The mouth hoop would be perhaps five yards across, the next a trifle smaller, and so on till those at the farther end would be only about two feet across. These hoops are covered with wire netting so that when the fowl are once in the mouth they cannot again get out under the arches is dug a canal or channel also gradually diminishing as the hoops get less at the far end is attached a movable tail or codpiece from which the fowler may take the birds as they are scared to their doom it is necessary that the decoy be erected in a secluded spot as ducks and other aquatic fowl are extremely shy fowl come to these waters for two purposes for retirement and to seek for food after satisfying their hunger they have a habit of selecting a grassy bank upon which they congregate and plume their feathers it is usual therefore to provide a nice green bank near the mouth of the pipe as the entrance to the decoy is called, where they fraternise with the decoy ducks belonging there. Presently, when all is quiet, a dog is seen approaching, and, although only a little fox terrier, he is large enough to inspire the fowl with alarm, so they betake themselves to the water, where they feel safer. The decoy ducks, when once in the water, make for the mouth of the pipe, as in the decoy they have been fed daily but our little friend the terrier takes to the water also and swims after them until they enter the mouth of the pipe when fairly entered the decoy man in his boat suddenly appears from behind a rush screen where he has been anxiously awaiting the time when he can suddenly dart forth and scare his prey directly he appears in the entrance the wild fowl naturally take wing and fly in an opposite direction to their persecutor but this only takes them farther and farther into the toils till at length they have no room to spread their wings for flight and are then driven into the tail of the net whence they are withdrawn by the fowler the decoys to be returned to their grassy patch and the strangers to receive the garrot and repose in the fowler's basket as many as fifty brace of birds have occasionally thus been caught at one push as the drive is technically termed the following extract relating to and decoy from a book printed at the end of the last century may be interesting fowl and fish are very plentiful here the pike and eels being very large the duck mallard and teal are in such plenty as is scarce to be conceived they are taken in prodigious flocks at a time in the decoys they send these fowl to london twice a week on horseback from michaelmas to lady day and one decoy will furnish twenty dozen or more twice a week for the whole season two teal are usually reckoned equal to one duck and five duck and twelve teal are accounted a dozen of wild fowl the usual market price is about nine shillings for such a dozen fritton decoy is about two and a half miles long and is very deep in some places eighteen foot or twenty foot and contains about two hundred square acres it is beautifully surrounded by woods some of the trees are grand old specimens of gnarled english forest trees whose roots stand out of the water like some huge hydra here is sketching ground for the artist indeed and the water is fairly teeming with fish for the angler as being private property it is not so much netted as some of the broads have unfortunately been indeed some twelve or fourteen years since the broads were so netted by gangs of poachers that had not certain gentlemen of authority put a stop to it by obtaining an act of parliament to prevent netting and liggaring, the water stood in a fair way of becoming exhausted of fish the poachers have at times brought in and sent by train as much as seven or eight tons of fish without any attempt at concealment when the price offered would not pay for carriage the fish were simply used for manure it is pleasant to hear that some of the true lovers of angling have hit upon a plan to stop drag poaching in the rivers they watch and having discovered who the poacher is take measures to stop his unlawful proceedings without setting the law's majesty in motion By taking the law into their own hands, thus they procure an old barrel which they stud thickly all over with tenter nails. This is then carried to the river at the spot where the poaching takes place. It is then loaded with stones or brickbats and dropped into the river bed. The next time the poacher drags, his net is irredeemably tangled in the devil and rendered useless the heavy expenses incurred in the preservation of the broads and rivers are defrayed by the voluntary subscriptions of anglers and others and i would earnestly request all gentlemen who may visit these waters to collect a small amount among themselves and send it to the honorary secretary to the board of conservators norwich the act just mentioned had the effect of breaking up these gangs of poachers and the stock of fish has again become plentiful however even now strict watch requires to be kept and more funds will give the committee power to exercise greater vigilance the fish at fritton are pike perch silver bream roach rudd pope and eels the last two named are a perfect pest to the angler as they spoil the bait and are worthless when caught visitors to fritton will do well to take their own provisions as there is no means of obtaining refreshment there the nearest inn is about a mile distant the church near the west end of the decoy and which is passed by visitors along the road from the river or railway station contains an old oak screen besides other things of interest the register dates from a d fifteen fifty nine the building is very small and unpretentious on re-embarking at st olive's bridge we again shape our course southward through marsh and meadowland Containing great numbers of cattle, the wooded Herringfleet Hills are on our left, covered with beautiful heather. And a stroll over them and the view to be obtained from them will be found most delightful. Five miles from St olive's Bridge, we leave the Waveney and enter Alton Dyke, summer Hall and grounds, the seat of Sir Savile Crossley, are in the summer months thrown open to the public, and many Yarmouth and Lowestoft visitors avail themselves of the opportunity of viewing this fine mansion. It is on our left before coming to Alton Broad. The grounds are noted both for their natural beauty and for the skill devoted to them by a little army of gardeners. Excursion tickets are issued during the summer months to Summerlayton from Yarmouth but instead of taking a return ticket the walk back should be enjoyed over the heather-covered herringfleet hills the home of the peewit and past fritton and belton to galston whence a couple of miles on the tram brings you to yarmouth bridge alton dyke is one and a half miles long and nearly as wide as the river so there is ample room for sailing the part of the dyke past the horseshoe bend is called for a reason i cannot fathom fisher's row alton broad is a fine clear expanse of deep water with good fishing it is about a mile long and contains upwards of one hundred acres upon entering the broad a lone house will be noticed on the left it is built of stone and brick and is surrounded by a belt of fir trees it was the home of george borrow the celebrated romany rye who wrote so many books upon gypsies and their manners and customs his best known work the bible in spain is a book interesting to everyone he died only five or six years since there is a station at alton at the lower end of the broad from which it is only five minutes journey to lowestoft and twenty to yarmouth boats bait and light refreshments or substantial meals may be obtained at the wherry inn adjoining the broad and close to the station the bar parlour of the wherry is quite a museum and contains curiosities from all parts of the world but to the local productions the principal interest is attached one case contains four perch averaging two and a half pounds forming part of a take of twenty-seven fish captured in the space of an hour another has a large otter eighteen pounds i believe which was caught here a year or two ago on the day of my last visit march eighteen eighty seven to this cheerful hostelry a fifteen-pound otter was caught in the waveney making the fifth since christmas although not so numerous as formerly they are far from being extinct in these waters as some persons suppose the bittern two specimens of which are to be seen is i am afraid now extinct in the county an hour may profitably be spent in this parlour museum and a lot of information gathered from the practical host the backwater or whatever the small arm of the broad is called forms a harbour in winter for laying up yachts as it lies in a snug corner at the back of the village the tall building overlooking this part of the broad is an ice-house from which parties starting on a summer trip may obtain a supply of ice to keep the various eatables and drinkables cold a great desideratum in july and august travellers from london who take a fortnightly return ticket to lowestoft should alight at carlton colville if they wish to visit alton broad a walk of five minutes over mutford bridge will bring them to the starting place of the yachts passing under the bridge and through the lock we enter lake loathing a large sheet of water lying between two hills two miles in length and deep at times large shoals of mullet and smelt enter the lake and good takes are sometimes to be had with a net at the eastern end communication with the sea may be obtained by passing through the locks into lowestoft harbour which has now nearly been completed by the great eastern railway company at a cost of over half a million sterling being more accessible in all weathers to fishing vessels than yarmouth it is expected that the fishing industry at this most interesting port will be largely and remuneratively increased lowestoft is by many visitors preferred to yarmouth being very picturesquely situated on the brow of a hill overlooking the sea while yarmouth is excessively flat it is also much quieter and not so much overrun by cheap trippers relics of various kinds are often dug out of the cliffs in the neighbourhood many of which may be seen in the museum at norwich lowestoft should be visited by all means if only for an hour or two but as we have little to do with the towns i must leave it to the reader to inquire for the places of interest in lowestoft itself i may en passant note that the town contains one long main street with numerous short ones diverging from it on either side its ground plan is in fact like the backbone of a fish just as the map of yarmouth was likened by dickens to a huge gridiron these i think are most appropriate plans for fishing towns lowestoft has two lighthouses which are greatly needed on this most dangerous coast one stands high on the cliff and the other a short skeleton tower is on the beach not far above high-water mark the pier which has a reading-room at the extreme end is about four hundred yards in length and is usually crowded at the time the band is appointed to play in the evening st margaret's church is a splendid building which stands some distance from the town and should not be missed there are some glorious country walks around lowestoft and the drive to yarmouth ten miles is very delightful now that we are near the sea we will take a stroll on the beach and have a dip while our man in the forepeak prepares our meal which we hope to eat with enhanced appetite after our sea bath if it be wished to lengthen the trip on the waveney that river can be ascended for many miles as it is navigable for large vessels as far as beckles eight miles and for moderate-sized yachts even to bungay fifteen miles to visit these places from lowestoft we must retrace our course through Lothing and alton broads and alton dyke until we arrive at the junction of the waveney through the dyke we have been steering due north but when we arrive at the waveney we alter our head to south-west and run past the village of borough st peter which is on our right the ancient church dedicated to st mary is a small thatched edifice with a brick and stone tower containing a solitary bell the tower which is unique in construction appears to have been built at different periods as the base or lower storey is of brick and stone worked into geometrical patterns the second and third of brick the fourth of stone and brick and the fifth of brick the capstone which at a very recent period was perched above the short wooden spire now lies in the churchyard it is a freestone with a wooden finial This was the crowning effort of the genius who built the curious five-storey tower. The interior of the church presents a curious appearance, being more like a corridor or cloister than the nave of a parish church. This is on account of the extreme narrowness in comparison with the length. It is about a 110 foot long, and only a little over 14 foot wide the number of candles and crosses in the chancel are in strong contrast to the usual low church proclivities of the norfolk people the vicar the reverend boycat is brother to captain boycott against whom originated the boycotting system in ireland i was told an amusing tale concerning the discrepancy in the spelling of their names but do not think it worthwhile printing notice also the octagonal font the rude staircase sedilia, and other equally interesting features from a distance the tower looks like a huge telescope set on end as each successive story is much smaller than the one beneath it our progress along the river is through seemingly illimitable marsh or fenland with a patch of cultivated land at intervals and we see no other village till we reach Beckles on the left bank although we pass within three-quarters of a mile of the considerable village of oldby if we wish to pay this place a visit we must moor to the right bank just before we come to the railway bridge and walk the only thing worth seeing however is the fine old church of st mary the tower of which containing four bells springs a solid square mass from the junction of the nave and chancel Archaeologists may find instructive examples upon which to comment in several parts of the church especially the doorway of old norman masonry situate at the west end while passing through this hoary portal which is said to be as old as the time of william the second we are confronted by a venerable font which by the style of the carving appears to be of the 14th century or perhaps a little earlier there may also be seen a piscina and two sedilia while the register is also extant dating from the year 1541 many other noticeable features will not be passed over by those who are versed in architecture of an ecclesiastic kind to prove its antiquity there is still in existence a charter by which in the reign of henry i eleven hundred to eleven thirty five a d the church was given to the cathedral monastery of norwich by agnes de belfaux wife of robert de kea the bishop of norwich then founded a small priory here for the maintenance of a prior and three black monks the remains of which are still to be seen as they form part of the priory farm and may by the permission of the occupier mr william blythe be visited yachts can pass the swing bridge at all times when the flag is down but when it is elevated to the top of the pole this is a signal that a train is due and until it has passed those in charge will not open the bridge so that for those in a hurry there is no way but to lower the mast this proceeding instead of saving time often loses it Beckles, on the left bank is one of the largest and busiest towns in suffolk containing upwards of six thousand inhabitants it is agreeably situated on rising ground and besides a town hall and theatre boasts of a capital racecourse half a mile east of the town upon which racing takes place in the spring and autumn there is a free school for boys founded in the year sixteen thirty one by sir john Leeman. Who also endowed it with one hundred acres of land? The grand old church, with its huge detached steeple or rather tower, for it is a most massive square structure, must be visited and its carved stone decorations inspected. It may be doubted if any church in the county can boast of such a grand entrance porch as the one belonging to this cathedral like church. The building was erected in 1369, just the period when ecclesiastic architecture was at its zenith. Beckles does a large trade in corn, coal, malt, and other heavy goods, which, since the deepening of the Waveney in 1832, have been transported principally by water. In fact, although thirteen miles from the sea via Lowestoft, it might also claim the privileges of a seaport, so broad and deep is the channel for the admission of vessels quite up to the town. Saturday is market day, when a very good show of all kinds of provisions and the usual household stores is displayed. There are also plenty of shops, at which, on other days, the ordinary visitor may replenish his wasting stores delicious butter may be had at a reasonable rate sold by the intelligible pound instead of the pint which was formerly in vogue in all the eastern counties the pint contained twenty ounces and was a cylindrical mass in the shape of the ordinary upright hand-churn or large milk-can so familiar to travellers on the railway perhaps a dice-box will give a better idea of the shape but instead of the waist being in the centre it was about one-third of the way from the small end speaking of butter it may be noted that until quite recently it was sold in cambridgeshire by the yard having spent a few hours at the old town of Beckles and made one or two small purchases we again embark and proceed on our journey to bungay eight miles higher up the river the aspect of Beckles from the river that is after passing it some distance is extremely striking and it will be difficult to find a more picturesque town on these waters unless it be Wroxham with its giant trees and church crowned hill as the draft of the lily is but slight we can travel very comfortably where a large sailing vessel would be constantly coming to grief on the bottom in tacking. For this reason, ordinary sea-going yachts are totally unfitted for river work, and especially the comparatively shallow rivers outside a radius of, say, fifteen to twenty miles from Yarmouth. Leaving Beckles the district becomes much more cultivated and less monotonous and the marshes fewer while steaming steadily onward there is time to mention the subject of fogs which in these fenny districts rise without any warning their ghost-like presence alone making you notice that they are there they sometimes come in the form of rolling white clouds bowling along the river's course at a smart pace so that one minute you may be in a beautiful clear atmosphere while the next your craft is veiled in a thick winding-sheet of white mist when it is very dense the best plan is to lay to and more to the bank till the fog has passed it generally departs as quickly as it came and is seldom met with except in early morn and at evening sometimes it will hang on the river and adjoining country in a bank or if i may so term it a carpet about two feet thick while all above is quite clear at these times the cattle grazing on the marshes appear without legs or support of any kind so that their bodies seem to be floating in the dense atmosphere if they bend to eat off go their heads so that the whole herd present a curious appearance trees grow apparently without trunks and men come gliding along the river seated on a fog bank for their boat is invisible then the fog will at times hover in the air cutting off the branches of trees tops of cottages etc these peculiar fogs are experienced in holland and i believe in all flat low-lying localities in just the same manner spring and autumn are the principal times of their visitation although they are occasionally seen late in the evening or early of a morning in the summer but they are very transitory the morning mist melting with the first warmth of the glittering sun, who looks upon the fog as a treasonable and dangerous rival, and banishes him accordingly. Gillingham lies on the opposite bank to Beccles, a good mile from the river, and is worth a visit if only to see a genuine piece of Norman architecture, the Church of St. Mary, whose register dates from 1540 this church was built about a d eleven twenty and is unique inasmuch as as it has a galil or women's porch in the good old times when this edifice was constructed women were so little honoured that they were not allowed to enter the body of the church on certain occasions but were only permitted to hear the service from the porch i am not sure but i believe this is the only instance of a galile in the county the finest specimen of a galile in england is in durham cathedral and this is so large that it is used as a chapel for the undergraduates of durham university to show the manner in which women were tabooed from the sacred fanes of mediaeval times visitors to durham cathedral are shown a large black stone cross let into the floor of the nave close to the chancel beyond which no woman was allowed to pass upon pain of all sorts of dreadful penalties and punishments being meted out to her we will however come back to gillingham the hall which stands in its own lovely grounds is upwards of two hundred years old having been built in the reign of james the first it is the seat of admiral eden justice of the peace who is also lord of the manor as we progress up the river we notice a hill covered with fir trees which come quite down to the river and look very rustic and pretty this is dunborough hill a well-known angling spot the next village is gelderston a mile from the river also on the right bank there is very little to see to repay a visit the church was restored twenty years since at a cost of twelve hundred pounds and is therefore practically a new church but with a very old history for its register dates back to the year sixteen hundred the hall is a modern brick building erected at the beginning of the present century and stands in a well wooded park there is a station here Beckles and Bungay line which is half a mile from the river on the left bank a mile inland is barsham noted as the birthplace of dr lawrence Eshard, the historian and divine on the same side, but within half a mile of the river, is Shipmeadow, noted for nothing in particular except its rural quietness. Here we are stopped by a lock and paid toll. The payment of this one sum also takes us through two other locks before reaching Bungay. The locks and their distances from Beckles are as follows. First, Shipmeadow Lock four miles then three miles farther is ellingham lock two miles more brings us to wangford lock and another mile lands us at bungay farther along on the right bank and adjoining the river is ellingham which boasts of a railway station five minutes walk from the landing-place it is but a small village supporting perhaps four hundred inhabitants But still a thriving little place. The church, St. Mary, is an ancient building with a square tower containing five bells. In the chancel are a piscina and a large wall painting. The latter represents the angel appearing to St. Peter in prison, who is about to be liberated therefrom. Several of the windows are filled with memorials of stained glass none of which are very grand specimens of nineteenth-century work. It may be noted that the modern revival of stained glass has been taken up with such enthusiasm by the various artists in this beautiful work that the old glass has not only, by some of them, been equalled, but actually surpassed. This has only come to pass during the last decade, As some of the work executed at the commencement of the revival is not only absolutely hideous in color, but the drawing partakes of the grotesque or caricature order, while the designs are beneath criticism. The painting too is such as the merest novice in the profession would be ashamed of. This revival only took place about thirty years since, but now during the past few years notice the beautiful metamorphosis men who have since raised themselves to the head of their profession as artists several of whom now write ra or royal academy after their names took the matter in hand and gave the world such cartoons as it had never seen before for this special purpose clever chemists set to work and analysed the component parts of the old glass and very soon produced such lovely colours and tints as the old monkish glass painters never dreamed of then clever painters were sought for and found and with equally clever cutters and glaziers windows have been produced during these last few years which have never been surpassed since stained glass has been used as a church decoration although perhaps a hundred glass painters may now be found in great britain the real masters of the art might be counted on the fingers of the two hands so much for this subject which was brought on the tape by gazing on the pictorial windows of ellingham church the register carries us back to the days of bluff king hal for it was commenced in fifteen thirty eight after passing a large island in the river we are in sight of that scarcely euphoniously named town bungay it is of considerable importance and musters between three thousand and four thousand inhabitants but although a railway depot It has not kept pace with the times as Beckles has done. Forty years since, before the advent of railways, the populations of Beckles and Bungay were nearly identical, namely 4,098 and 4,109. At the 1881 census, they were 5,721 and 3,579, respectively the water carriage with yarmouth lowestoft and other places greatly favours Beckles, and thus by securing it greater commercial privileges at the same time advances its population and prosperity there is very little of interest to see in the town which is divided into two parishes saint mary and holy trinity the parish church of the latter is an ancient little building with a round flint tower while that of st mary is a much larger structure and of some architectural importance there is a capital free grammar school of ancient but uncertain foundation which annually sends four scholars to emmanuel college cambridge the market day is thursday but the market cannot compare with that of the sister town Beckles. the situation of the town is pleasant and the streets well laid out the waveney after passing at the east end of the town the bridge uniting the counties of norfolk and suffolk describes a most eccentric course and after flowing a distance of three and a half or four miles again passes the town at the southeast bridge which is only about five hundred or six hundred yards from that first mentioned from bungay the river is only navigable for small boats which may ascend for several miles flowing past harlston and dis it takes its rise at the little hamlet of lopham in norfolk in a swampy land and at a distance of a stone's throw from the source of the little ooze which river east and north completes the boundary of the counties of norfolk and suffolk so close are the sources of these two rivers that a man with a spade might in a few days make the county an island from bungay norwich may be reached in an hour and a quarter so that if you take a man from Lowestoft with you to take back the boat, you need not retrace your steps, figurative ones, along the Waveney. The epithet, Silly Suffolk, as it is generally written and pronounced, is incorrect, and a libel on the industrious and sharp people of that county. The word silly is a corruption of the Saxon "silly," which means happy, not foolish, as some would have us believe we must after a good night's rest return early in the morning along the waveney to the entrance to the new cut as we purpose paying a short visit to the extremely ancient and interesting city of norwich the whole of the river waveney from bungay to the new cut is a noted pike ground and on good authority i have it that during february of this year eighteen eighty seven nearly three hundred pike and jack were taken by members of the angling clubs chapter three